Panama Today is on the air, folks. We're glad you tuned in. You've made a good choice. The next 30 minutes, music and inspiration to help you live for the Lord Jesus. Bumper sticker said, it's a long bumper sticker, but it said, Come work for the Lord. The work is hard, the hours are long, and the pay is low. But the retirement benefits are out of this world. Human relationship that we have with a a social relationship that we have with another person. And as you get to know the person who becomes your spouse, you learn to love that person. Uh, It's a growing relationship. You love your spouse more, I trust now, than when you first met your spouse. And it's because it's a learning process as you come to know the person more more and more and more. But I want to bring your attention to Proverbs Uh, 25 verse 21 and 22 it says if your enemy is hungry give him bread to eat and if he is thirsty give him water to drink for so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you now Jesus used those words and we also find them uh, quoted in Romans 12 verse 20 when Jesus gave the uh, Sermon on the Mount there's the equivalent of those same words in Luke chapter 6 Listen to these words. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Those are such heavy words. And yet, if we take those words for just what they are telling us to do, it can so change the relationship that we have with those we don't get along with. Now, it doesn't say here that we have to like our enemies. It says that we need to love our enemies because loving a person and liking a person are two different things. Many people who get married say, oh, we fell in love. Then a number of years later, they say, well, I don't love the person anymore. Well, I said, well, how'd you love them in the first place? Well, we fell in love. Well, fall back in love. And you see, you can love a person because you are concerned for their best and their well-being. See, you can love your enemy. You may not like what he's doing. I mean, God loves us, but he doesn't like our sin. He doesn't like what we do so much of the time because of our sin. But God loves us. Love does not, is not necessarily a mushy, gushy, uh, warm feeling inside. It may entail some of those feelings that come along, but love is a decision. Love is an act of the will. And so when we love our enemies, that means we are concerned for their ultimate good. We are concerned that they will come to know Christ. That is one of the most amazing things that convinces people that Jesus is real, that Christianity is real, that the love of Christ does change people. Uh, so many times I've mentioned Corey Tenboon, the uh, Dutch woman who she and her sister and her father hid Jews in their attic during the Second World War. And she in Holland, and they were found out, and they were eventually taken to a concentration camp and Corey's father died and her sister died, but she miraculously survived by a clerical error. The next day, everybody who was in her age group were put to death, but she had gone free. And she lived to tell the message that God can change a person's life and so give you love even for your enemies. Now, she had trouble with that at first, 
But as time went on, she was able to forgive her enemies and actually love those because she saw that these were people without Jesus, that eternity in hell awaited them unless something happened to their lives. And because she saw the love of Jesus on the cross, dying for that sin of the enemy guards, just as for her own sin, she began to have love and compassion on the very people who tormented her and who guarded her and were so mean to her sister and largely responsible for her sister's death. And the message that Corey Ten Boom emerged with at the close of World War II as she spread through Europe began to change lives. And that was made into a book called The Hiding Place and later into a movie called The Hiding Place, which was shown right here in Panama. Corey has since gone on to be with the Lord uh, whom she came to love so much. But her ministry began in, in her uh, 50s and about 56, 7, 8, something like that. And after the war, she had a, an itinerated ministry sharing Jesus all around the world. People wanted to hear her story. And when they heard her story, more people wanted to hear her story. And she traveled for the next 25, 30 years, right on into her 80s. That lady was making trips. Uh, Jamie Buckingham wrote a book about that called Tramp for the Lord, about her many, many incredible experiences of sharing Jesus afterwards. Other stories have come out of World War II, out of Japan. Prisoners of war who came to know Jesus turned around and went back to Japan as missionaries. The very people who persecuted them. One guy became a Christian in the concentration camp, and so he went back to Japan sharing the love of Jesus. What is this love of Christ that constrains us? That's what Paul said. Now, for us to love our enemies means that we begin to see these people as God's creation, and we begin to see ourselves in the same lost condition except for the love of Christ. And once we see ourselves saved from hell into heaven for eternal life, we say this love of Jesus should not go to waste on the cross, what Jesus did should not be in vain. We need to tell the story. And so as we share the love of Jesus, it may be even to our enemies. I heard a marriage counselor speaking once and says, he took this verse and it says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless who curse you. He says, if we're supposed to do that to the people who hate us and curse us and who are our enemies, how about doing it to your spouse? He, guys, go back and start loving your wife. They're not your enemies. And if you want to say they're your enemies, well, then you're supposed to do this and love them and pray for them and lift them up and bless them. Now, the second verse here, 28, says, bless those who curse you. I want to comment on this word bless. This is a, a, comes from the Greek word eulogio. Now, what does that sound like? It almost sounds like eulogy, doesn't it? Well, what is a eulogy? Eulogy are, is, is a time during a funeral service, a memorial service, where good words are said about a person. And that's what exactly this word means. It comes from two words, from the first part, you, which means well or good, and it comes in from logio, which is from logos, which means speech or word. In other words, eulogio is to speak well or uh, speak well of or to praise, it, to extol, to bless abundantly, invoke a benediction, give thanks, and so eulogio, bless, can be from men to God. It can be from men to men. Or it can be from God to men. Now, when we say in from Psalm 103, to bless the Lord, O my soul, 
And Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Well, what does it mean to bless the Lord? It means to say good words about the Lord. Good words right to the Lord. We want to say, God, I love you. God, you have shown me so much favor. You have given so many provisions for my life. You have made my life full of meaning. You have forgiven my sins. You are so faithful. And on and on you go with thanks and you go on with praise. What are you doing? You're blessing the Lord. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, what is your soul? The soul is the real you. You are made up of body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is the real you, which is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So you are speaking to your soul and say, come on, soul, get with the program. Start praising God. Start blessing the Lord. And you may not feel like it. Circumstances may be uh, harassing you at that time. But God is still worthy of being blessed. So we go on with blessing him, praising him, and worshiping him. Now we understand that part. Well, then how about the part where we ask God to bless men? Well, that's probably what we use more in a common way when we say, God bless you. Well, what is a blessing? Let's say at a particular time I meet you on the street and you share with me a few minutes about how your children are rebelling and going through some pretty rough times and things are tense at home. Well, after we talk a few minutes and uh, we head on each our separate way and I turn around and say, well, God bless you. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, what's, what kind of a blessing does that guy need right then? What kind of a blessing? He needs some peace in his home. He needs some wisdom in how to discipline his children. He needs to search for new ways of how to pray and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how to raise his children and uh, how to help his wife or the spouse through this difficult time. That's, that's what that would mean. Well, if you met me on the street and you said, well, I've just lost my job. I got these bills, et cetera, et cetera. And after we talked and I said as I left, well, I'll be praying for you. God bless you. Well, what kind of a blessing does that person need right then? He needs a job. So to have God's favor in that life at that particular time would be for that man to get a job or that woman to get a job. So that's what we mean. If, if the person is telling you how sick they are and you say, well, God bless you as you're leaving, I'll pray for you. Well, what are you going to pray for? You're going to pray that they'll move someplace or finances. That's not what they need right then. They need a healing. They need good health. They need God to touch their bodies. So that's what we mean when we say, God bless you. So many times we just say it in a general way just to somebody, hey, God bless you. Well, you know, if you get any needs, may the Lord meet those needs. But I don't think most people even think about that when they say the Lord bless you or God bless you. To say God bless you means Uh, You know, may God's favor rest upon you. And since God is God, when his favor rests upon you, things happen. Answers are coming to those problems and those needs that you have. And that leaves us with the third one, men to men. When you uh, bless another person, what are you doing? Well, you could uh, perhaps be even an answer to that person's financial need when you say, hey, you know, I know of a guy who's looking for somebody uh, to work and he's just started a business and he needs help. Well, in a way, you're going to say some good words. You've just blessed that guy by giving him a hint on where he couldn't get a job. You might give him a loan or give him a gift to help him over the rough time. And in that way, you're blessing him. 
but you can say good words. You can say, John, you know, you've got a lot of talent. And uh, God's working in your life. I've seen the change in your life. So you can encourage people. You can say good words to another person. And in that way, you are a blessing to that person. See, people say, oh, you've been a blessing in my life. Well, what is it that I've done? Well, you you've were right there when I needed you. I was sick in the hospital. You visited me. You shared the word of God with me. You shared a Christian tape, a CD with me. See, that's what that means. And so it says, bless those who curse you. So those people who curse us, who are doing us ill will at that particular time, we can turn that whole thing around. Instead of the curses we're getting, we can say good words. They may be telling us where to go and how fast to get there, you see. But we can turn around, and uh, whether we verbalize it or not, we can ask the Lord to bless that person. We can say good things. We can encourage that person. And it just blows them away. That's basically what it means in that other passage, which is quoted from Proverbs 20, that for in so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. They're not expecting this. They're not expecting a return of a blessing for their curse. And I will carry this one step further. When you learn that there is witchcraft going on and perhaps somebody has put a curse on you or you begin to think that has happened, how do you reverse the curse? Well, you bind it in the name of Jesus by the shed blood of Jesus. But then the second thing you do is you begin to pray for that person. You begin to ask God to do a tremendous work in their life. Lord, to bless the needs that they have, to meet those needs and let them know that the answer has come from you. And this is a way that we can bless those who curse us and to pray then for those who spitefully use you. That was from Luke 6, 27 and 28. Take a moment, folks, and just thank the Lord for this good day. It is a gift from God to you. As I was speaking about blessing others and praying for those who just do us harm and just mess us up, why don't you determine in your heart right now, those of you who are driving in your cars, that the next person who jumps in front of you, threatens your life, that you're going to bless them and you're going to pray for them. Instead of putting your hand out the window and all kinds of gestures and frustrations and flashing lights and everything that you just say, God, that person's got a need. They're late again, as always. And uh, I just ask you, Father, to help that person get their life in order, come to know you as their Savior and their Lord. And Father, if they do already, and uh, they seem to be out of fellowship at the moment, uh, I ask, Lord, that they begin to get their life straightened out here and begin to get things in order. And that, of course, takes a bit of maturity to do that, but that's what we want to do, isn't it? We want to grow in the Lord.